Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew, chapter 28, beginning to read at verse 16. Glory be to you, O Lord. When the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. So, we have this week, week five of Made for Mission. And it's Made for Mission from, as we said, the 40 days with Jesus. Now, I have some slightly bad news for you. And that is that the course I'm studying on my reader training this half term is mission. Therefore, I've been studying mission for five weeks now. I have plenty on mission that I can share with you. I'm not going to give you all the stuff I've learned. It it wouldn't, but there are a few things from the course that I can share with you this morning. Um, The thing to remember is that we are created with a purpose. We are made for a mission. And that is to carry on the work that Jesus started. We're not being asked to do something that he did, didn't do. We're doing what he did. We're continuing with his mission. And I think the starting point, obviously, is what is mission? And through this, we have two missions, one as a church and one individually. So both of them I will touch on throughout this. But the thing I think we remember is that we are doing what Jesus did and with him with us. So let's start with what is mission? There's a phrase, this is one of the things I learned on my course, missio dei. To remember that what we're doing is not us. We are doing God's mission. And this quote is one that we have to quote all the time. The mission of God, the mission that belongs to God, the mission that flows from the heart of God. Missio Dei speaks of the overflowing of the love of God's being and nature into God's purposeful world, activity in the world. It starts with God. What we have to do is join in with what he is doing. I think, obviously, it's challenging to find out what he is doing. That's always the first point. But I think also, on mission, people often think, right, we must do mission. And off they go, and then they ask God to bless it. And it isn't always successful. And your starting point needs to be, what is God doing? What is God asking me to do? So that I am not sort of barreling out confidently, thinking I know what I'm doing, without actually asking God, what he wants doing in that situation. Now, the Church of England, being the Church of England, set up a committee to decide what mission was. And they kept, and it had Anglicans from all over the world, so it wasn't just us, it was from right across the world, and they came up with a definition of what mission was, and it's called the Five Marks of Mission. And it's been sort of adopted by the Church of England in 1996, and it Kevin kindly put a cartoon on the newsletter, 
which, if you don't know what the five marks of mission are, would make no sense to you whatsoever. But after you've seen what five marks of mission are, you may laugh uproariously at the cartoon. And this is what the five marks of mission are. Obviously, the first one which we all know, which is to proclaim the kingdom's good news. We are to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. Then we are to teach, baptise and nurture new believers. Those two were quite obvious, I thought, really. Then the next one is to tend, which is to respond to human need by loving service. And again, that seemed to me to make sense. The last two were new to me. Um, and there are Bible passages if you ever want them. I can give you oodles of Bible passages to back up each one. I haven't put them here this morning. I think I've got enough for you instead. But it's to change, it's to fight society's unjustness. So if we see unjustness, we are to seek to transform the unjust structures of society. And then the last one is to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the church of the earth. My words are coming out wrong this morning. To strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth. So those are the five marks of mission. It's interesting, I have to give a presentation on Tuesday about what we're doing on those and then come up with a plan of what we could do. It's not one I'm going to bring to church necessarily, but it's what I have to do to my course. And it's interesting which ones we're very good at and which ones we might need to do work on, both individually and as a church. So mission is not Bible bashing. It's not going around convincing people with the Bible, this is what you must believe. And neither is it about getting bums on seats. Um, Much as it would be nice to get more bums on seats, not that we can at the moment. But what it is about is relationship with people. Because you can't tell them about Jesus or serve them until you know them and then you know what they need and you can serve them. So, on to our passage this morning, which is called the Great Commission. I like that. I hadn't noticed it before. We're not doing it on our own. It's a commission. It's us joining with God in what he's doing in our world. And as Dozy read... Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So let's start, as I always do, with pictures. There's a donkey on this one. I was intrigued. But there is Jesus, and it's dynamic. Notice that Jesus has his hands in the air on that one. And on the next one, he's almost as if proclaiming, go. He is, however, interestingly white with auburn hair, which I'm not completely convinced about, but there he is. So starting at verse 16... The 11 disciples have gone to the mountain. It's interesting that they've changed. We had them hiding away in the upper room two weeks ago. They were timid and afraid. Their leader had been killed. 
And now they travel to Galilee, which is 60 to 70 miles away from Jerusalem, which is about four days' travel, where they were last week um, on the beach. So they're now on the top of a mountain. So what has changed them from being hidden away to traveling to here? Because they met with Jesus. Jesus was alive and had spoken with them. Meeting with Jesus had made a difference to them. And then we have their reactions. They're different. Some worship him. Some doubt him. I was interested what they meant by worshipped. Were they bursting into song? No, which was quite a relief, I think. We could have had the hills are alive with the sound of music, but no. It actually means that they fell prostrate in an attitude of humility before him. So they fell down at his feet. But some doubted. In the first week of this course, we looked at things that were unlikely not to have happened because you wouldn't have written them down if they hadn't have happened. And yet here, we've got something that sounds unlikely. So it probably means it did happen. You don't want disciples doubting. And it's interesting, what did they doubt? Jesus was standing there in front of them, so it's quite tough to consider that they doubted that he'd risen from the dead, since he's there physically. And did they doubt that he was the Messiah, maybe? However, you can translate it as hesitant. So having done four days of journey to meet with him and then climb a mountain, you would think they'd be fairly confident. Did they actually expect to see him there on the mountain? When we studied Mark's gospel, one thing we noticed was they never really understood what Jesus meant. They had their expectations, which were different to Jesus's. So are they still confused? They still have much to learn. They don't have the view that we have. To use that lovely word, they're still on a journey. And yet here is the risen Jesus standing in front of them. One commentator puts it, they still were hesitant. And their failure to understand his repeated predictions of his resurrection compounded with their despair after his crucifixion, worked to maintain their hesitance from some time before they came to full faith. Jesus' resurrection did not instantly transform of men of little faith and faltering understanding into spiritual giants, which is quite reassuring. And how should we react? We should acknowledge his lordship, bowing down before him, Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, as it says in Romans 12, verse 1. But also accepting that we can be hesitant and lack understanding. It doesn't disqualify us, thankfully. It just makes us like the disciples. But we have the benefit of the Holy Spirit. So we must invite the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us in a new and greater way. So that we can leave our hesitancy behind and wholeheartedly follow him. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Very similar to what was said in Daniel 7. Those of us who have Daniel ingrained on the mind at the moment. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion 
that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. It was given to him. God the Father who created the heavens and the earth had given it to him. Jesus has received his authority both as the Son of God but also from God. The authority he has been given is not over part of something. In the past, while healing the paralyzed man, Jesus claimed to have the power to forgive sins. And this is what upsets the teachers of the law. However, the crowds were filled with awe and they praised God who would given such authority to a man. And in Matthew 11, Jesus says that all things have been committed to me by my father. Now, after his atoning death and triumph resurrection, his authority has been confirmed. And now he has the authority over heaven and over earth. And the implications of this are huge. This is Jesus stating his deity. He has the true authority over the whole of creation. The disciples were not going to be going out and doing this in their own authority, but on the authority of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who alone knows what the future of the world is and what's best for all humanity. And the same is true for us. We are going out in his authority. We need to start with him. Mission is not fruitful when we decide what needs doing and then ask God to bless it. It's the wrong way round. We are doing it in his authority. And therefore we need to ask him what he wants us to do. Then we are heading out in his authority. We have been made with a purpose, on purpose with a purpose. This person was to overflow into making a difference in people's lives. And we need to ask God, what is his purpose for us? We need to be listening to our master and following his directions. This mission of God, this mission that belongs to God, mission that flows from the heart of God, it is the overflowing of God's love, being in nature and God's purposeful activity in the world. It's not ours, it's his. Our job is to trust and obey. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing him in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. Quite disappointed, Kevin said he was going to play Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, but he says he hasn't got from Wham, but he hasn't got the um, copyright, so it was a problem. But I thought that would be quite fun. But yeah, it's go. The Great Commission begins with go. It's not stay in your church, it's not stay at home, it's not to stay comfy, but it's to go. It's active, we have to do something. Dave Smith, who wrote The 40 Days with Jesus, talks about mission as works, words and wonders. Works, I think we can say, is a combination of the last three marks of mission, loving service, transforming unjust structures, and safeguarding creation. I wrote this sermon before Kelvin talked last week, and he used this passage as well. I think that's important, that both of us felt it was important to use. Something for us to consider Why does God think this passage is important for us at the moment? And in it, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Dave Smith was talking about individually, but Kelvin talked about the whole church. 
So both individually and as a church, we need to make sure our light shines. And James writes in his letter, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. We are called to reach people through our works, through a lifestyle that is radically different to the rest of those around us. And how often do we blend in, I think, and through actively serving others? We are the light and we must let our light shine by the way we live our lives. Then others will see our good deeds and praise God. We lo- the, the, the praise the God we love and serve. Very often, others will be first attracted to the gospel by our actions before they will receive our words, whether this will be a constant, consistent lifestyle of integrity, authenticity and joy, or acts of kindness and good works. Both are a central part of mission. Chris, who is another reader in training on the course, came to be a Christian because he saw something different in someone he met, and he wanted that. The way we live and the way we are should be drawing people to Jesus. The second phrase that Dave Smith used, word was words. As we live the life and do good works, this will often open doors for us to speak words concerning the essence of the good news of Jesus. At the end of Mark, there's a slightly different version of the Great Commission, which makes it even clearer. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The first mark of mission is to proclaim the good news or the gospel. It is the best news ever, so we must not keep it to ourselves, but we must go and tell others. Why? Because it's only through hearing of the good news that people can believe and be saved. Yet this is something that many of us find really difficult, even intimidating. This can be due to the fear of being inadequate, or of losing reputation, or of being rejected. What we need to remember is that God wants to use each one of us and work with the personality we are. Our own personality and style. Whether we are naturally loud or quiet, extrovert or introvert. We had the training here in church on mission, on how to do that. Are we talking to people about Jesus? To quote the New Testament tutor I had last half term, we are a group of people in love with a man who should be encouraging others to fall in love with him. Are we doing that? And the third word that Dave Smith uses is wonders. This is the final part. As we do good works and share the life-giving words, we can expect God to confirm his message through signs and wonders. Again, back to the end of God's, back to the end of Mark's gospel. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. We should be expecting to see signs and wonders. Now that was one word go. I will reassure you to say I'm not going to do each word in quite so much detail. Um, We'll continue with verse 18. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
Having disciples was a normal thing. Rabbis did that. But what Jesus is telling them to do is something radically different. Can I have the next slide, Tris, please? Thank you. They're not, they're not making disciples for themselves, which was normal. You followed, your, you followed your rabbi. What you're doing is making disciples for Jesus. This was new. This would, was different. The new disciples would not be following those who had called them, but they were following Jesus and learning from Jesus and serving Jesus. All nations is another big change. The Jewish people had never been called to look outwards. The prophets had messages for Israel, for the chosen people to change their ways, repent and return to God. Now they are being sent out to all nations, to both Jew and to Gentile. The disciples were still on their own learning journey, as they did not really pick up on this. And if you read Acts in detail, there was a lot of discussion and ructions when Paul went to the Gentiles. But that is actually what Jesus said. Make disciples of all nations. And here, interestingly, in this verse, we get the mention of the Trinity, not by name, but you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, etc. So, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So first instruction, go. Second one, baptise, which means immerse or dip. We've had adult baptisms, both out at Yaviland, and I was dunked at the church on the roundabout. But we also do here, obviously, infant baptisms. But why is it so important here? There are only three instructions, which are to go, baptise, and to teach. So why is it important for baptism? John spent his time calling people to baptise, to repent and be baptised, and Jesus himself was baptised. Not because he needed to repent of any sin, but because he wanted to set a pattern for his followers. And now he emphasises it in his final instruction to the disciples. Now in your study notes for this week, there's a whole week, there's a whole day on this. So I'm not going to spend hours, you'll be pleased to know, going on about baptism, but I might pick up a few things. That's your homework. One of your bits. Baptism follows on from being a disciple. It follows on from repenting and following Jesus. It's not the way to become a Christian, but it is a sign that someone has become one. It is clear throughout the New Testament that baptism was to be a vital next step after someone had repented and believed. Then through baptism, that person declares publicly that they're now a follower of Jesus, identifying with him in his death, burial and resurrection. The disciples followed this instruction. People told the crowds at Pentecost to repent and be baptised. Paul writes about it in Romans 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And then the rest of it is to teach, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's quite a big call, isn't it? Everything I have commanded you. Where do you start? The Sermon on the Mount? 
the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself. We are to love God and love people. I refer you back to my previous sermon. I'm not going to do that one again for you. However, this is not something that can be done quickly. We are all still learning and will go on learning. This is a lifetime of instruction and life change for all of us. But the quicker we get someone started on that journey, the better. As Dave Smith puts it, once you see someone come to Christ, your job has just started. And as it goes on, as, a mother, as mothers will testify, giving birth is only the beginning of a long journey. And Tristan, don't think that just because you're 18, it's over. <laughs> no, I'm 52. I'm still being parented. They don't stop. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I think that's so important. And finally, Jesus reminds them that they are not on their own and never will be. We are not and never will be alone. Many people today are feeling alone. Many of us have family and friends who we can't see and haven't seen for over a year. I did Mothering Sunday without my mother for the second year in a row and will do Easter the same. I haven't seen my father for 18 months. People are alone. In the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is revealed as Emmanuel, God with us. And in the very last verse, we have Christ's abiding presence. I am with you. We are actually not alone. We have Jesus with us. And we are living with Christ in us. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and he comes not just to be with us, but to live in us. Jesus is personally present all of the time. This is the same Jesus who taught, healed, and delivered, who was crucified and is now risen. He is here to strengthen and to comfort us in our walk with him. And it also means they were not doing this, going, baptizing, teaching on their own. However daunting, unnerving, enervating, maybe exciting, whatever word you would put here, it all sounds, we are not doing this on our own. Jesus is with us. He is the power behind our mission and will empower us as we seek to carry out his great commission. So we are to go and live our life of mission, making disciples and baptizing them and teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded, remembering that this is something we are doing hand in hand with Jesus. So where are you going to start? How are you going to make other people fall in love with Jesus? Who are these people that Jesus wants you to do this for? And what are you going to do about it? Are there works you could be doing? How could you be serving others, fighting injustice and safeguarding God's creation so that God's love is being outpoured and people can see it in action? And equally, other things we as a church could or should be doing. We've seen Dozy, the photos going round and knocking on doors. We have photographic evidence with the leaflets. We're running this Lent course and have publicised it. And we've seen the videos Nana has made for new believers. But the time, as Dozy says, is now. I'm sure that there is a lot more that we could be doing. I think the question is, does our parish know who we are? Do we have relationships with them? Are we relevant to them? Are there other ways we could serve our parish? What is God doing in our parish that we should be joining in? I put something rather sarky next, which was maybe we should form a committee, but I shall move on. (laughs) So let's go 
starting with the people we know, then the parish we need to get to know, and then we can tackle the island, England, UK, Europe, and finally the world. But the starting point is that we must go.